He who brought the treasure of divine love and who was filled with compassion and mercy. Where is such a personality as Srinivasacharya gone? Where are my Swarup Damodar and Rupa Goswami? Where is Sinatan? Where is Raghunathas, the savior of the fallen? Where are my Raghunath Bhatta and Gopal Bhatta? And where is Krishnadas Kaviraj? Where has Lord Goranga, the great dancer, suddenly gone? I will smash my head against the rock and enter into the fire. Where will I find Lord Goranga, the reservoir of all wonderful qualities? Being unable to obtain the association of Lord Goranga, accompanied by all of these devotees in whose association he performed his pastimes, Rotama Das simply weeps. So it's the 20th of February, 2023, in Hillsborough. And if you could try to get um, verse 43, one up on the board, we most likely will have time for that. So today is the disappearance day of Jagannath Das Babaji. And often in our pictures of the disciplic succession on our altars, we include a picture of Jagannath Das Babaji. Uh, we don't know that much about his early life. We know he lived in Vrindavan for many years. And when he was elderly, he was living in Navadri. So there was a controversy over where was the actual birthplace of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And you know, just like in uh, material places, people go and visit uh, you know, the, where Elvis Presley lived, right? People even go and visit the fictional home of Sherlock Holmes. Did you know that? So, you know, the writer, Arthur, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, he invented a, an address for Sherlock Holmes. And there's a museum there. You can go in London and you can visit this home where a fictional character didn't actually live. So what to seek of actual people, historical personalities. So, you know, you can find George Washington's birthplace and Abraham Lincoln's birthplace and things like that. And it's a cash cow. No, it's fine. I don't know where to turn it off. Huh? Is the computer So if it's actually, you know, somebody's place, people will pay money, right? Yeah. If you can go to George Washington's birthplace or where George Washington cut down a cherry tree or something. People will pay money, and not only will they pay money to that place, but when they're in that place, they'll shop in the area at various stores. It brings tourists to the area. So naturally, people want to establish that they have one of these places. This makes sense to everybody? There's, there's a profit motive here. So in the uh, Mayapur Navadweep area, people were claiming where Lord Chaitanya's birthplace was, but Thakur doubted that they had the actual place. I know what's happening on the screen is really fast. <laughs> so he was trying to find what is the real place. He himself was convinced that the, real, that the people who were saying they had the place didn't actually have the place. And he consulted a lot of old maps because as you know, Navadweep, the Ganga goes through there. And if you let rivers go wherever they will, they shift their course. 
The only way to make a river not shift its course is to put some kind of artificial barricade. And he found a place where there were many, many Tulsis growing and where the local Mohammedan said was haunted. And he decided this is probably the actual birthplace of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So at that time, Jagannath Das Babaji was in Navadri and he was at that point said to be 120 years old. Being very elderly, uh, he could hardly see and he couldn't walk. He was being carried in a basket. You know, nowadays it would be a wheelchair. But in those days, his servant was carrying him in a basket. I'm not sure exactly how he managed that. He had like a basket on wheels or, <laughs> or what that was. Uh, but anyway, so he brought Jagannath Das Babaji to see this place that Bhaktivinoda Thakur, we're gonna, uh, we already read the summary yesterday, so we're going to start with the next one, where Bhaktivinoda Thakur said was the birthplace. And at that point, Jagannath Das Babaji jumped out of his basket and started dancing. And Bhaktivinoda Thakur took this behavior of Jagannath Das Babaji as an indication that he had found the real birthplace. Uh, another very interesting story that's told about Jagannath Das Babaji is that when he would be taking prasadam in Navadri, there were some puppies that were coming and also eating there from his prasadam. And so his servant, Brihari Lal, was very upset about this, and he, he took the puppies to some distant place. And then Jagannath Das Babaji says, where are the puppies? He said, oh, I, I took them to a distant place. And he said, these are Dom dogs. These are residents of the Dom. And if we're not going to feed them, I'm not going to eat either. So he sort of brought them back. I have a very good friend, Vishaka Ramos, who's dedicated her life to taking care of the various non-human living entities in Vrindavan with this mentality. All right, today is also the disappearance day of Rusty Kananda. He lived from 1590 to 1652. And uh, he was a disciple of Shamananda, who, of course, was the next generation after Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, both he and his wife took initiation from Sri from Shamananda in the line coming from Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Now, what's particularly of interest to me because of some work we've done in the Shastra Advisory Council is that Shilabhakti Sananta Sarasvati, and Prabhupada quoting Shilabhakti Sananta Sarasvati, identifies this particular line, the line of Shamananda and Rasikananda, as giving the Brahma Gayatri mantra and the sacred thread as part of Vaishnava Diksha. So this is a, it's a minor fomenting controversy right now in our movement and something that the Shastrik Advisory Council has been working on. Uh, but some devotees wrongly assume that Srila Bhakti Sinatra Sarasati was the one who decided to add the Brahma Gayatri Mantra to Vaishnava Diksha and that before that it was never done in our Sampradaya. So that is not a fact. So throughout our Sampradaya there's many different uh, ways of giving Vaishnava Diksha. There's not only one way. The way that we give Vaishnava Diksha in ISKCON is not the way it's done in the rest of the Sampradaya. The different branches each have their own way. Some branches give different guru mantras than Srila Prabhupada gave. Some give different gora mantras than Srila Prabhupada gave. Some only give the Gopal mantra. Some give a 10-syllable Gopal mantra. Some give what we have, the 18-syllable Gopal mantra. Some only give the Kamagayatri mantra to renunciate. Some give the Kamagayatri mantra to everybody. 
Uh, other than ISKCON and ISKCON-related branches, there's nobody who has vows taken at the time of Diksha. That's, that's something that our student Prabhupada, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada, instituted. My personal belief is he did that in order to have a multicultural, multinational movement. So in most branches of the Sampradaya, people don't take vows at all at Diksha. And how many rounds they chant is an individual thing and so forth. The Prabhupada made the systematic thing in order to do a worldwide movement. But giving people the Brahma Gayatri mantra at Diksha was not something that was started by Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati. Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati notes, and Srila Prabhupada quotes this, that there are some branches, not all, but some branches in our Sampradaya that have been regularly giving this mantra to initiates at the same time as giving the Sampradaya mantra and giving this mantra to initiates regardless of their standing in the varnas. And that's the specific point that Shula Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati and quoted by our Srila Prabhupada make about Shamananda and Rasikananda. That although they were not technically Brahmanas by varna, uh, still they were given the sacred thread and they were given the Brahmagayatri mantra at the time of Diksha. Rasikananda was born in a Kshatriya family. He was a prince. So again, he wasn't born in a Brahmana family. And he really wanted to find a guru, at which point he understood that Shamananda was going to be his guru. And as I said, he and his wife took initiation from Shamananda. Uh, one of the most astonishing things about Rasikananda is, is who were his disciples. Does anyone know about any of the disciples of Rasikananda? That's someone else. That's another amazing story, but that's there's someone else's story. Yeah, and a lot of Muslims became his disciple. Pretty interesting. A lot of Muslims became his disciple. So in our international society for Krishna consciousness, we definitely have people who've joined our movement and taken initiation who come from Muslim backgrounds, but they're in the minority. I mean, we do have, especially in predominantly Muslim countries like Kazakhstan, places like that, but it's definitely in the minority. Most of the people who join our movement are from Hindu families or Christian families, and after that, Jewish families. Not so many from Buddhist or, or Muslim backgrounds, but he had a lot of Muslim disciples, people who came from Muslim backgrounds. But perhaps his most interesting disciples were animals. He initiated an elephant and two tigers. Do not try this at home. Two tigers. Do not try this at home. No, no. Please don't try to make tigers into your disciples. Please, don't, just don't do this. Unless you're Lord Chaitanya or Rasikananda, just love the tigers from a very far distance. So Rasikananda had three sons, and his, the descendants of his sons are the uh, main pujaris at the Ashirakura Gopinath temple in Mimuna. And that's where Rasikananda left his body on this day by the lunar calendar in uh, 1652. So he was asking the devotees to do kirtan, and then he entered the temple, and he fell down at the lotus feet of the deity, and he left his body. Very nice way uh, to leave one's body. We should all... I'd be so lucky to leave our body in such a way. 
He wrote many wonderful songs. I don't think he wrote any books, but he wrote many wonderful songs glorifying Krishna. All right, so I want to go on to, unless anybody has any comments about Jagannathas Babaji or Rasikananda. Yes. So Mother Krishna Priya, for those of you listening online, she was saying how we know that one of the ways that the Muslims increased their numbers in India was they would throw water on somebody, that water had come from like a pot that a Muslim had drunk out of, and that way the person was considered now to be a Muslim. And could it be that some of these Muslims who took initiation from Rustic and under were in that kind of category? Uh, certainly. I mean, if you look at, uh, the same is true with Christians. I know this isn't very popular, but the Roman Catholic Church were much bigger, uh, was a much bigger terrorist organization than any Muslim organization. And you have, say, the Spanish Inquisition, where anyone who wasn't Catholic, you know, if you were a Protestant Christian or Jew or Muslim, you would be tortured until you would convert. Yeah. And that was, of course, done in the Western Hemisphere extensively especially with the indigenous people by the Spanish and Portuguese uh, that came to conquer. So there was, I, you know, I, I know um, in Spain there were a lot of families who externally accepted Catholicism under the Spanish Inquisition, but they were from a Jewish background and they would continue to do Jewish rituals like secretly in their basement. And they would do that for generations, but after many generations, people didn't even know what, what they were doing anymore. It's like, why do we have this family ritual? So this, this concept of conversion through force, through torture, through subterfuge, has been particularly done by the, the Muslims and the Catholics in the world. And therefore, it's not that unusual for people after some time to revert. Well, that does happen. Just like in the communist countries where, you know, like under Stalin, and people were forced to accept communism under fear. And then as soon as things loosened up a little bit, they rebelled. So this does happen. Also, I mean, frankly, the majority of people in the world who identify as a particular religion are not actually practitioners of that religion in any meaningful way. Correct? I mean, it's true for all religions. It doesn't matter whether you're Buddhist, Hindu, Catholic, Lutheran, Pentecostal, Sunni, Shiite. You know, what are you? I am a Sunni Muslim. Do you pray five times a day? No. Have you ever been to Mecca? No. Like, what do you do? Uh, for Islam, nothing. So this is the... People take up a religious um, title as simply a, a new party. Right? usually based on the family of their, of their birth. And people think of it as a nationality. You know, I'm born an American, so I'm an American, and I'm born in a, you know, Lutheran family, and therefore I'm a Lutheran. So that's the, the general thing. Still, having said that, that sort of designation is often very strong in people. 
and to be willing to to go beyond that. And especially if you look at the society in which Rastikananda was preaching. So it was a society where people were very, how do we say it, there was a lot of prejudice and there was a lot of persecution going on. Look at what happened to Haridas Thakur. Haridas Thakur was practically killed by the government for having been born in a Muslim family and taking up Krishna consciousness. So although it may have been a superficial designation to a lot of people, it was very risky to change it. I mean, this is true today in parts of Africa and in parts of the Middle East where you're not allowed to preach to Muslims, even if they're just nominally Muslims in name only. And if you do so, you can be jailed. You can be tortured, you can be jailed. I mean, it's, it's a very serious thing even though these are people who may not be practicing their religion at all and they may not know anything about their religion at all. So it, in that society, in today, 2023 in America, this is practically speaking meaningless. But in other parts of the world right now, it's not meaningless at all. You know, I, I preach in the Middle East and if we preach to Muslims, we're, we're going to be jailed. You know, I really wouldn't want to be in a jail. And... Oman, thank you. So, you know, that's, it's a very serious thing. And I was reading an article about um, a Muslim who married a Christian in one of these African countries, one of these Muslim African countries. And the family was jailed. The children were taken away into, like, you know, foster care kind of thing, and the family was jailed for having an interfaith marriage. So, you know, it's a fact that these, that these people who became his disciples, some of them may not have been practicing Muslims who were really into Islam, but still they were taking a great uh, social risk and probably a, a risk of physical harm by becoming his disciples. So it's, it's not a small thing. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for bringing that up. Any other? Did you have something you wanted to say for me? Well, you, want, you probably want to start your class. Now. Oh, I can do the verse or not. Can you say a little bit about Jagannath Das Babaji? You know, we're supposed to do a Pushpanjali thing for the, I, the relationship. I, I don't know. I've never seen us do a Pushpanjali for Jagannath Das Babaji. Okay. I've so never seen I'm it beyond. Just, never seen it beyond Bhakti Vinoda. The relationship between Bhakti Vinoda and Jagannath Das Babaji. Well, Bhakti Vinoda accepted Jagannath Das Babaji as a Shiksha guru, and he was very. You know, there was this controversy between Bhaktivinoda and his Diksha Guru also about um, Lord Chaitanya's birthplace. So the fact that the same person, Jagannath Das Babaji, certified that that was Mahaprabhu's birthplace was very meaningful to Bhaktivinoda. That's a very complex relationship, and I would urge people not to superimpose their own ideas on what was Bhaktivinoda's relationship with his Diksha Guru and his Shiksha Gurus. So some people assume that he just rejected his Diksha Guru and rejected his Diksha Guru's line, but we don't have any in indication of that. It is entirely possible and precedented to have a disagreement with your Guru and still have that person as your Guru. We're not robots. It's not that disciples are all just like expansions of the guru and it's just all one person who agrees about everything. 
that it's, we're, we're individuals. I mean, think about Chamananda himself and his relationship with his spiritual master, Rudajitani. I mean, that was a very complex situation. But even, you know, we wrote a Shastra Advisory Council paper some years ago about the beard of Adoitacharya. Because when they were going to install the Panchatattva deities in Mayapur Dham, there was a big question. Should the deity of Adoitacharya have a beard or not? I mean, the actual deity doesn't have a beard. Like in, in Laguna Beach and in Hawaii, the actual deity has a beard. Like the deities here have hair. So in my opinion, he doesn't, but he wears a beard like a wig beard. But anyway, we researched it, and Shilabhakti Sananda Saraswati says very clearly, very unambiguously, absolutely clearly, that Dwaitacharya does not have a beard. Crystal clear. And A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada says crystal clear that Dwaitacharya has a beard. And Prabhupada instructed about the deities in Hallelujah. And I think in Laguna Beach as well, but definitely in Honolulu. And he instructed that Adwaiti Charlie should have a beard. So if you read our Shastra Advisory Council paper, which is on the GBC website, what we were looking at was not so much does Adwaiti Charlie have a beard or not, but what do we do when our Acharya disagrees with his Acharya? What do we do? And our decision was Prabhupada is the Acharya of this kind, so we're going to follow him, even though this is a case where he was disagreeing with his own group. But we, we are individuals. And sometimes, even between a disciple and group, there's differences of opinion. That doesn't mean that Srinivasa Vinayakur rejected his Diksha Guru or had any less respect for his Diksha Guru or his Diksha Guru's line. By the way, the main reason. The main reason that people say that Bhaktivinoda rejected his Diksha Guru is what? What's motivating that? That they can reject their Diksha Guru, yes, definitely. But there's something else motivating that. It's something very political right now. Is it? Yeah. No. That's good. Diksha line goes back to who's it coming from? Janavamata. Bhaktivinoda's diction line is coming through Janavamata, and there's four lady diction gurus in his diction line. <laughs> Bhaktivinoda lists his diction line going back to, to Janavamata. You notice in some of his songs, you notice some of Bhaktivinoda Thakur's songs, he's specifically glorifying Janavamata. Yeah. So. It's a very simple thing that we can say we have women Diksha Gurus in our Diksha line here in the International Society for Krishna Consciousness. If we go back through our Diksha line, look at that. There they are. So people say, oh, we reject that line. Of course, if we reject that line, then Bhaktivinoda Thakur doesn't really have Diksha, does he? I mean, it's kind of ridiculous. But he never rejected his Diksha Guru. He disagreed with him on this point. And he was very happy that his Shiksha Guru verified his own realization. 
we have, you know, times where Vishnachakitvadi Thakur strongly disagrees with Jiva Goswami. Jiva Goswami sometimes strongly disagrees with Sanatana Rupa. I mean, we are individuals. Prabhupada wrote a letter to Ekayani, who was uh, Gopal Krishnamurti's wife when he was a Grahasta. And he said, you know, both you and, I'm paraphrasing, both you and your husband are devotees, although because you are individuals, you will have different opinions on different things. It's one of, what do we mean by an individual? What does that mean? I mean, this was a big discussion with the question of, is bhakti inherent or inherited? And obviously it's both. But this was one of the big questions, that if there was no inherent bhakti, in what sense are we an individual? And I listen to Prabhupada's lectures nearly every day. Thank you. And Srila Prabhupada will emphasize over and over and over again that we have an eternal relationship with Krishna. And that relationship is individual. But what does individuality mean? What do we mean by that? We, and, and one of the ways that Prabhupada defined that is that we have different opinions. We have different ways of understanding things. We have different ways of, different things we like. There's, there's foods that I really don't like that some of you may have as your favorite foods, and vice versa. Right? And we do have different opinions. Even in the spiritual world, the devotees have different opinions about how to satisfy Krishna. And some of these are very strongly held opinions. And sometimes they, they think that people who have different opinions are really wrong. I mean, it's not just some, oh, I have my opinion and you have your opinion. It's not like that. It's sometimes very strongly held opinions. Krishna wants to be treated like this. No, he wants to be treated like this. No, he wants to be treated like this. No, he wants to be treated like this. Therefore, there's different groups of devotees with different opinions. So this thinking that all of us, there are things about which we all need to have the same opinion, like Krishna is the Supreme Personality of Godhead. You know, we're not this body... You follow? Mm-hmm. If you have a different opinion about that, then you're in a different sampradaya or you're out of the Vedic uh, thing altogether. And of course, Burjan Prabhu Ashton Prabhupada, how do we know what's a principle and what's a detail? And Prabhupada said, that requires intelligence. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, should we look at today's verse or is there something else that somebody would like to bring up? Um, you can go either way, it doesn't matter. I have prepared for the verse. All right, let's look at today's verse, which is 10th Canto, chapter 43, text 1. Shri Sukha Uvacha, Atta Krishna's Charamascha, Krita Socha Parantapa. Maladundubi near Gosham, Maladundubi near Gosham, Sudvadrasum Upechetu, Sudvadrasum Upechetu. Anyone want to check? 
Shri Sukadev Goswami said. Shri Sukadev Goswami said. Ata. Ata. Next. Next. Krishna. 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 Cha. Cha. And. And. Rama. Rama. Balaram. Balaram. Cha. Cha. Also. Also. Krita. Krita. Having carried out. Having carried out. So chao. So chao. Purification. Purification. Param tapa, O chastiser of enemies, Mala of the wrestling match, Dundubi of the kettle drums, near Gosham, the resounding vibration, Shutva, hearing, Drastun, to see. Upeyata, they approach. BBT translation. Sukadev Goswami said, O chastiser, chastiser of enemies. So who's he talking to? Cricket. This is very appropriate because he's going to talk about how Krishna and Balaram are going to kill their enemies. So he's saying, You who are also a chastiser of enemies. O chastiser of enemies, Krishna and Balaram having executed all necessary purification, then heard the kettle drums resounding at the wrestling arena, and they went there to see what was happening. BBT purport. Srila Sridhar Swami explains the words, Krita Sochao, having executed all necessary purification, as follows, quote, Two days previously, Krishna and Balaram had executed their purification, their relief from offense by performing heroic deeds. The Lords reasoned, even after we have made our power known by breaking the bow and by performing other feats, our parents have still not secured freedom. Kamsa is again trying to kill them. Therefore, although he is our maternal uncle, it will not be wrong for us to kill him. They assured their offenselessness by this reasoning. Sri Sukha Uvacha Atta Krishna Staramascha Kritisocha Pramatapa Maladundubinir Gosham Sutra Drastum Sukadev Goswami said, O chastiser of enemies, Krishna and Balaram, having executed all necessary purification, then heard the kettle drums resounding at the wrestling arena, and they went there to see what was happening. So Krishna and Balaram did not immediately want to kill Kamsa. He was their maternal uncle, at least he was Krishna's maternal uncle, not Balaram's. They didn't immediately want to kill him. Prabhupada writes in the first canto that Krishna punishes the demons with regret. So there's rules in the Shastra that are taught, right? In every society, there's some sort of scripture. Do not kill. Thou shalt not kill. It's there. Everybody knows. And especially you're not supposed to kill innocent, defenseless persons. If you're a warrior, if you're the government, you can kill a criminal. Like in today's society, if the police are chasing the criminal and the criminal pulls out a weapon, the police can kill that criminal, right? Correct? Yes? But you're not supposed to kill someone who's defenseless. The police aren't supposed to kill unarmed persons. Well, they do, but they're not supposed to. And if they do, they often get into trouble. There's a public outcry. Why is the police killing an unarmed person? You're certainly not supposed to kill an infant. Right? A human infant 
is the most helpless and dependent. The human infant is, is in need of care by adults, not killing. So Kamsa had killed Devaki's children. The fact that he was the king didn't shield him from this. And this is in the Shastra. He had imprisoned Vasudev and Devaki. What had they done? Nothing. They were political prisoners. Yeah? A lot of the constitution of the United States is to prevent the government from taking political prisoners. Because that had been done by the European kings. So a lot of the amendments to the constitution and a lot of the laws in the United States are to prevent the taking of political prisoners. That you can only imprison somebody if they have been found guilty by due process of a crime. So Kamsa didn't do this. So this is in the law books. It's in the Shastra that you're not allowed to do this. That's a warning. Then Krishna's given more warnings. He's killed all these demons that Kamsa has sent. And then he's further given warnings. He's broken the bow. He's killed the washerman. Now, if Kamsa was intelligent, he would have released Vasudev and Devaki. He re-imprisoned them. You remember after uh, the daughter appeared as Durga and went to the heavenly planets. At that time, Kamsa repented somewhat and he released Vasudev and Devaki. This kind of repentance, uh, it's, there's a discussion with Dhritarashtra that it'd be like a flash of lightning in a cloud, that every once in a while Dhritarashtra would get a flash of repentance and say, oh yeah, I'm doing the wrong thing. And then poof, he would go right back to his previous place. I remember once seeing a devotee do this. I was talking to a devotee who was very offensive, a temple president. And uh, as I was talking to him, all of a sudden he understood what he was doing wrong. And I, I didn't think of that verse about the flash of lightning, but to me it looked like the sun came out on a cloudy day, like sometimes it's really cloudy and then for a moment the sun comes out. It, really, it felt like that in the room. And then a moment later he was back. You could almost like see the clouds coming again. So this is what happened with Kamsa. After you know, this daughter appears as Durga, he took that very seriously. It's like, well, wow, Durga is telling me I'm not behaving properly. <laughs> so he had like this flash of lightning in a dark sky. And he released Vasudev and Devaki. But then later, right before the rest of so then they were free. Vasudev and Devaki were free from the time that Krishna appeared until right before the wrestling match. Right before the wrestling match, he re-imprisoned them. So Krishna wasn't very happy about this. Why are you putting my parents in jail just for political purposes and to, for your own protection? They haven't done anything wrong. So he's giving Kamsa warnings, and Kamsa hasn't taken these warnings, so now Krishna Bala was saying, okay, that's it, now we're, now we're done. Now even then, he's going to kill Kuvalayapita, then he's going to kill Chinura and Balram's going to kill Mustika, and they're going to kill, I think, uh, four or five other wrestlers. So even at any of those points, Kamsa could have surrendered. You know, but he persists, so finally, finally, Krishna kills him, even though he's his maternal uncle. Um, Kamsa's eight brothers are killed by Balaram. Now Balaram's not related to them. So here we see that Krishna gives warnings. 
Even at times when it seems that he kills precipitously, like with the washerman, that wasn't the case when you look at the previous lines. Krishna always gives warnings. There's a place where Prabhupada said that for everything material nature, there is a warning. So I take it that we can learn two things from this, at least. One is to listen ourselves to the warnings. We have statements in the Shastra and from our acharyas as to what we should do and what we should not do. We may have somebody come to us and say, hey, this is not very good. This is not the way you should be behaving. We will have some indications in our lives before there's a big hammer falling on our head. And we should be paying attention to these things. The other is how we should deal with others. So if other people are doing something wrong, unless we're talking about an immediate life or death emergency, which happens sometimes, I mean, there are sometimes when one has to just act because somebody's in danger of, of immediate harm. But other than that, there should be warnings. There should be clarity. Right? We should have rules. These are the rules. Let people know what the rules are. And then we talk to them and we say, this is our rule. This is our, look, we have it posted or this is in our agreement. And, and you're not following these rules. Now, what, what can we do about this? How can we try to move forward? And, and give people a chance to rectify. I was uh, once giving a class on Govardhan Puja in New Zealand, and I was talking about how Indra thought that he had been offended when actually he was the offender. And somebody said, you know, why, why is this tolerated for so long? And I said, because Krishna gives us a chance to rectify. I said, if Krishna threw out of the Hare Krishna movement everybody who ever offended a Vaishnava, you know, I would have been gone a long time ago. So Krishna gives us some opportunity to rectify. So we should pay attention before the sledgehammer comes, and we shouldn't immediately pull out a sledgehammer with others. Shri Prabhupada ki jai, Jagannath Das Babaji ki jai, Rastikananda ki jai.